The title of this morning's message is, How Can I Be Sure of My Salvation? How can I be sure of my salvation? You know, this is a problem and a question that many people have. There are pastors who are not sure of their salvation. There are ministers, deacons, Sunday school teachers, members of churches that do not know whether or not they are saved. And it's affecting some of you this morning. In its mildest form, it may be simply something that steals your joy. It may be something that causes you to hesitate in sharing your faith, your testimony with someone else because you're not sure of your testimony. In its worst form, it can be absolutely crippling, causing you to lay awake at night in fear, not knowing whether you belong to Christ or not. And you want to know for sure, but you don't seem to be able to get there. You have tried, you have come forward, you have been baptized maybe multiple times. But there's still the question in your heart, how can I be sure? And the doubts do not go away. Before I read the scripture today, because of the nature of what we're talking about, I'd like to pray for us, but especially for you, if you are struggling with this question, how can I be sure? Let's pray together. Father, after we have worshipped you and we have sung your praises, there can be little doubt in our mind that you are a God who saves. And we praise you that you save people. We thank you for Jesus and for sending him to die for us on the cross. Thank you for raising him from the grave. Thank you for hearing us when we pray in his name. But Father, there are men and women here, even this morning, who are suffering because of their struggle for assurance. And I pray, Almighty God, as you have entered into our worship, that you would move and speak to their hearts and set them free in the liberty and the joy and the certainty and the excitement of knowing that they're saved. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you brought your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 16. Now I'm going to begin reading there in just a moment in verse 25. Acts 16, verse 25. A couple of months ago, we studied this passage in relationship to the persecution of the church. And we saw these men arrested in prison, singing at midnight. I want us to see the aftermath of what happened in that story. Acts 16 and verse 25. Here's what the Bible says. Paul and Silas have been arrested. They're sitting in prison. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword 
and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. How can I be sure of my salvation? The truth is that people doubt their salvation for different reasons. There is many different reasons why someone doubts their salvation as there are people. But perhaps the top five reasons that come to mind very quickly. One, something I didn't do correctly. When someone is wrestling, when someone is struggling, they're looking at themselves and they're saying, did I do it right? Did I say the right words? Did I pray the right prayer? Did I do everything that I was supposed to do? Another reason people doubt, because there's something I can't remember. They might not be able to remember the, the exact day and the time of their salvation. Some people doubt because there's something I'm hiding. They're nurturing some secret, something they have never confessed, something they have never exposed, something they've never brought forward. Some people doubt their salvation because there's something in their life I cannot stop, a besetting sin that sticks with them, stays with them, and it recurs, and they keep thinking to themselves, how can I be a Christian and experience this kind of sin? And then some people doubt because of something I am not experiencing. They look at their lives and they, they read something like 1 John that says that those who are born of God, they're going to love the brothers, for example. They're going to love other Christians. And they look at their heart and they say, you know, I don't feel that. I don't experience that. And because they, they look at the tests of, of Christianity, the evidence of Christian transformation, and they don't see what they think they ought to see, they experience doubts of their salvation. We sometimes confuse the requirements for salvation with the results. First John is describing what happens inside a person when the transformation is going on. He's not saying you should love the brothers. He's saying that if Christ is in you and he's at work, this bubbles to the surface over time. And sometimes we confuse the two. We want to answer the question, how can I be sure of my salvation? I want to do that this morning by breaking it down into three parts. The first thing I want us to see is this, the struggle for assurance. The struggle for assurance. In 1 John 5.13, the apostle writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Here's the apostle John writing to Christians. And he says, I'm writing these things so that you can know that you have eternal life. What does that tell you right away? Well, it tells you that you're not alone. 
that there are others through the ages who have had doubts of their salvation, who have wondered what their place is, and can I know for sure whether or not I have eternal life? If you suffer from a lack of assurance, this verse makes two things very clear. First, you can be saved and doubt it. You can be saved and doubt it. The whole purpose of 1 John was written for Christians who are growing and who are actively growing so that they might know that they have eternal life. You can be saved and doubt it. You can also be saved and know it. The verse makes it very clear. I'm writing these things so that you can know that you have eternal life. There are some churches, there are some denominations that say you can never know with certainty that you're saved. And yet here the apostle says it clearly. You can know that you have eternal life. The Bible encourages us to settle this issue, to not leave it hanging out there. We are exhorted, encouraged, admonished in Scripture to know for certain that we are saved. In 2 Peter 1.10, he says, Therefore, brothers, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. And so we are called to know with certainty about our salvation. You say, well, Don, how can I know if I can't recall or remember a specific time and place? Let me show you something. This chair. When you came in this morning and you sat down, you sat down like this. Now, in the process of sitting down, in the process of sitting down, there was a moment where you were no longer on your feet and your weight was shifted to the chair. Now, how many of you this morning knew when that happened? A couple of you did. And, and that moment of salvation occurs at a very specific moment in time. The Bible teaches us that when God saves a person, there's a moment where they pass from darkness into the light. There's a moment where they pass from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. There's a moment when they're lost, and then there's a moment when they're saved. But that is theologically and biblically true. It is not always true that you and I are fully conscious of that moment. You say, well, how is that possible, preacher? Well, part of it is because practically I've known pastors, I've known godly men and women over the years who have had significant encounters with God. Sometimes they've gone forward time after time after time. Prominent pastors, prominent church leaders who cannot tell you with absolute certainty when it took. But they're sitting in the chair. What is your heart today towards Jesus Christ? Are you resting all your hope on him for salvation? Then there was a moment you took the weight off yourself and you put it fully and completely on him. So the struggle for assurance is real, and the Bible expects that believers will struggle. The Bible also encourages us to find assurance. But now before we look at how to be sure, I want you to see the dark side of this question. That's this. I want you to see the danger of a false assurance. The danger of a false assurance. Matthew 7, verse 21. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, 
Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Is that not a terrifying passage? It ought to be that people would describe themselves in those terms and have no clue that they were lost. Notice what these people were saying. First, they were not saved by what they did. Uh, excuse me, by what they said. They were not saved by what they said. Jesus said people are going to come to him. Not a few, he says many. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord. And so this is the kind of person that could stand in front of a church and make some kind of profession that Jesus is Lord. And they were not saved. It wasn't based on what they said. Nor were they, they were not saved by what they did. Look at the text again. Many will come and say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? They're preaching, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name. And they're pointing to what they've done. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. And that's what they were pointing to as evidence of their salvation. But they were wrong. You know, in the old days, we used to teach an evangelism course called Evangelism Explosion. And if you ever took that class on how to share your faith, there were two very good questions that they taught you to ask. And we don't use those questions often enough. One of the questions was, if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? Increasingly in our culture, we have to ask some other questions before we can ask that question. But it's not a bad question. There's another one they taught us to ask. Suppose you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be to him? What would your answer be to him? Let me give you some wrong answers. Let me give you some wrong ones. I believe the Bible. That wouldn't be a good answer. You can believe everything that's in the Bible. You can believe it from cover to cover. You can be theologically correct. You can know the truth about God and not be saved. It's not enough to say, I believe in the Bible. These people said, Lord, Lord. Secondly, it's not enough to say, I'm a church member. That's not good enough to take you to heaven. It's not enough to say, I've been baptized. It's not enough to say, I'm an ordained preacher or minister or deacon. That's not going to take you to heaven. It's not enough to say, I've served God in many places in many ways. It's not enough. You see, Jesus is not giving us here a picture of people who were saved and are losing their salvation. He's giving us a picture of people who have never been saved at all. These are people who may have sung in the choir, but they weren't saved. People who had taken the offering, but they were not saved. People who had preached, but they were not saved. People who had participated in healing campaigns and cast out demons, but they were not saved. We know that the devil attacks the church through persecution. We saw that in this very passage that we're reading. But he also attacks the church very quietly through deception. And he can deceive you. If he can deceive you and cause you not to actively walk with God, not to actively trust him for your salvation, he'll do that. And deception is something that should terrify you and me. Many people who will be deceived into thinking that can be saved through their efforts, their works, their merits, are going to be in for a rude awakening on that final day. So the struggle for assurance is real. 
The Bible expects that believers will struggle. The Bible encourages you and me to find assurance of salvation. It encourages us to avoid self-deception, to be sure, and to know. How can you know? Well, the third thing I want you to see is the simple path to true assurance. The simple path to true assurance. In the scripture that we read at the beginning of this message, the man asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Now, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with assurance of salvation, that needs to be your question. That needs to be what you're asking. And you need to focus on that question. You need to hang your entire eternity on that question. What must I do to be saved? And listen to what they said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all they said. Believe on Christ. If you understand the answer to this question, you can have full assurance of your salvation. And you'll be taking the most important step towards being fully certain that you are saved and that you are no Christ. What does it mean to believe on Jesus? First, it means helplessness. Helplessness. It means you no longer believe in your ability to save yourself. Listen again to Acts 16, verse 30 and 31. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So his response was, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's helplessness in that. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, Paul wrote later in Romans 4, verse 5. Look at this carefully. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, He's the only one that can do that. His faith is accounted for righteousness. It's credited to him as righteousness. What does that mean? Friend, it means you've got to let go of everything that you would ever imagine that you could do to save yourself. There is nothing you can do. There is no work you can perform. There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can accomplish. There's no experience you can have. He says to believe on him, he says you've got to cease from your own works. You've got to come to him and believe on Christ. That's pretty helpless. Now, you've got to hang with me. If you're struggling with assurance of salvation, you understand what I'm saying when I say that you've got to understand that you're helpless because you have felt that and you have thought that many times. You are helpless. Accept it. Revel in it. Relish it. You are helpless. There's nothing you can do. And you've got to let go. You've got to stop thinking. Is there something else I could have done? Something else I should have done? Did I do it right? Did I do it correctly? It doesn't matter. There's only one thing that matters. You are helpless. And you need a Savior. John makes this clear in John 3.36. He who believes in the Son, that's it. He who believes in the Son has, right now, possesses 
everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That was the tragic error of the people in Matthew 7. They said, Lord, did we not? Did we not? Did we not? And they didn't. The one thing that God wanted most, the will of the Father for them, was not that they would do something, but they would come to him with empty hands and open heart and simply put their trust in Christ. Let me illustrate it this way. If I were to tell you this morning you only had five minutes to live, could you be saved? Can you be saved in five minutes? Sure you can. You can be saved. In order to be saved in five minutes, could you do a whole lot of stuff in five minutes? No. You couldn't join a church in five minutes. Not this one, anyway. You couldn't go to seminary in five minutes. You couldn't be ordained. You can't even read the Bible from cover to cover in five minutes. All you can do in five minutes is throw yourself on the mercy of God. That's it. That was a thief on the cross in Luke 23. He said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He only had that time, that moment, those minutes to come to Christ and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Now listen to me. Whatever it takes to save a man in five minutes is what it takes to save him in five years or 30 years or 50 years. It doesn't take more to save a person for years than it does to save a person in five minutes. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. You're helpless. To believe on Jesus means you've concluded you're helpless to do anything to save yourself. It also means, and here's another word for you, not only helpless, but it means dependence. Dependence. It means you are counting on Jesus to accomplish everything necessary to save you. Counting on Jesus. Nothing else. No one else. You've let go, you know you're helpless, you know there's nothing you can do, and so now you come to fully and completely put your trust in Jesus. If anyone's going to save you from hell, it's only going to be Christ. Acts 16, verse 32, the Bible says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. That was the next thing they did. They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they said, They spoke the word of the Lord to him. Now, why is it important to see that? Listen again to the Apostle Paul elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 1.18. Listen to what he says carefully. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Nothing you do is, is the power of God. It is the message itself. Now look, if you're trying to share your faith with someone, that ought to encourage you. Because your your ultimate goal, your objective, is to simply get that gospel message in front of them. It's the message that saves. But here's what I want you to see in 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now look at that word foolishness. Why is it foolishness to those who are perishing? I'll tell you why. It's too simple. It's too simple. It's so simple, it's almost impossible to believe it you mean all I got to do is trust Christ and what he did for me you bet that's it that's what the Bible says even in Paul's day false teachers followed him everywhere he preached this simple gospel 
Everywhere he went. And what did they do? They said, you heard what Paul said, but it's not enough. You've got to do something else. You've got to keep these rules. You've got to observe these holy days. You've got to take these certain foods and avoid other foods. You've got to do all these other things. And they were following Paul. Why? Because the gospel as he preached it was foolishness. But Paul and Silas took the man aside and said, all you must do is believe on Jesus. That's what they said. And in verse 32, they explained the word of the Lord to him. What was the word of the Lord? What was the word of the Lord? I, I want you to hear a couple verses from the writer to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. Listen to what he says. This is the gospel in a nutshell. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The Old Testament sacrificial system was a picture of what Jesus would accomplish, but it never accomplished what Jesus did. Now listen to the next verse, verse 12. But this man, Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice for sins, plural, forever. He lives. He died. He lives. Why did he die? He died for your sins, all your sins, your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. You say, well, how do you know that preacher? Because it says he did it one time. One sacrifice for sins forever. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for all your sins? Each sin and every sin. For all time, Jesus died for them at the cross. Now that's the word of the Lord. And the jailer heard that message and he believed. He didn't believe in the facts about Jesus. He believed on Jesus. And he rested all of his hope for salvation on him. He was dependent on Christ. He was hopeless and helpless in himself. He was dependent on him. Now, to believe on Jesus means one more thing. And the last thing I want you to see, I want you to see it after you look at this video. Watch this carefully. Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help. You. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm -hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. Well, this is all part of the exercise, oh, all right? Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus. I trust Good. you. Yes, I do trust you. I'm gonna fall okay. back. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. Uh, okay. Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted. All right. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay. I'm gonna do it. All right. I'm really gonna do it. <laughs> okay. Good. Great. That was great! You're ready for level two! Level two.
little too. Here yes. I come, baby. Woo! Whoa. Whoa. Okay, hold it. <laughs> oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back. <laughs> ah, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this one's a little bit different, Laura. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh-huh. But face me. Forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. Whoa. Okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. Yes. The okay. Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. Especially when you do it. <laughs> Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus. I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. What does it mean to believe on Jesus? You and I have a, will have a sense of helplessness when we believe on him. We have a sense of dependence, but the third word that describes the kind of belief the Bible's describing here is acceptance. Acceptance. You are taking God at his word that he has no other requirement for you to fulfill. If you're struggling with the assurance of your salvation, listen to Acts 16, verse 33 and 34. Listen. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. The man and each member of his family believed. That's it. That's it. They took God at his word and they were saved. Faith alone in Christ alone. So if you know all the answers to what I've talked about this morning and you agree with them, and you are still struggling with your sense of salvation. Can I say something to you as a brother and as your pastor? That your problem is not doctrinal, it is personal. It is personal. You say, well, pastor, why do you say that? Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12. This is Paul talking about himself. I am not ashamed... For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that, keep what I have committed to him until that day. Notice he doesn't say, I know what I have believed. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I believed. I know God. I know what he's like, and he is a promise-keeping God, and it's personal. It's not just about doctrine. Do I believe the right things? Am I a Baptist or a Methodist or Presbyterian? It's all about who you are trusting. Are you trusting in him? It's not that you aren't sure of your salvation. You're not sure of him. You're not sure of him and what he is going to do. I came to know Christ this month in the fall of 1978. And I can't tell you which Sunday it was in October 1978, but I know it was in October. And I remember what happened. And I was there. I walked down front. I talked to a pastor. 
And he and I had already met before, and he had written some scriptures down on a piece of paper that I still carry with me in my Bible. And I'd read those scriptures, and I'd came to understand them, and I put my trust in Christ. And I believed with all my heart he saved me. But I wasn't discipled as a young Christian, and I made a lot of mistakes. In fact, in part, this is due to the sensitivity that comes with the Holy Spirit living inside you. But I, I look back at my life at that period of my time, and I feel like I made some of the worst mistakes of my life. That I did things that no Christian could ever do. And so I went off. I started off in engineering. I transferred to ministry studies. I wound up at Blue Mountain College in North Mississippi, and there I met Gail. And just before we married, about 1981, and uh, just before we married, I began to struggle with assurance of my salvation. I did. I was a youth pastor. And I was teaching Bible studies. I was leading kids to Christ. I was preaching sermons when the pastor was out. And I wasn't sure I was saved. And I was the most miserable human being you'd ever want to meet. And I kept thinking, well, Lord, if I've got to go forward down front and just swallow my pride and just go down front and pray again and be saved again and be baptized again, if that's what it'll take, Lord, I'll do it. And I got silent. And deep down in my heart, I knew that if I did that in my situation, that it wasn't going to go away. And some of you know that. You've done it more than once, and it hasn't gone away. And you're struggling, and you're wrestling. Gail and I married. We're a year, 18 months into this struggle with assurance. I had talked privately with a couple friends. I talked privately with a pastor, and I still didn't have any assurance of my salvation. And one night, I couldn't take it anymore. We lived out in the country at that point next to a cow pasture, and I walked outside in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. I began to talk to the Lord. And the uncertainty grew greater and greater and greater that night. I mean, the only way to describe it, and I'm not exaggerating, the only way to describe it is I was constantly walking around feeling like I was suspended over a dark bottomless hole. And that I was headed down that hole and I was going to spend eternity in hell. I really felt that way. I wrestled with that. I knew what the Bible said. I knew how to lead someone to Christ. I'd taken the, I'd asked the big questions of people. <laughs> but I didn't know for sure. And that particular night I got down on my knees. Didn't get better. I laid down flat on my face on the ground. And it didn't get better. And I finally cried out to the Lord, and I prayed a prayer like this. And I had no expectation when I prayed it, and I had no idea what was going to happen. But my prayer went something like this. Oh, God, right now I realize that there is no way on earth that I can save myself. I know there's nothing I can do. I know that I can't do it. And there's nothing in me to do it. And I know right now, Lord, that if you let go of me, that I would go straight to hell. And you would be absolutely right and just to let me go. But Father, I believe that you don't want to do that. 
that you've said in your word that if I would trust you, that you would save me. And I believe, Lord, that you love me and that you're not going to let me go. And you know, after that night, I mean, I was spent. I was just spent. And I didn't realize what had shifted in my heart. But I quit fighting. I quit trying to figure it out. I quit trying to save myself. At that moment, it was over. I didn't know it until I got up the next morning. And it was over. It was over. And what had happened to me was simply what I described. Was in the journey to assurance, I simply came to a fresh understanding that when you believe on Christ, it's that simple. And the gospel is that simple. And it is foolishness to those who are perishing. But listen, friend, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We're going to have a time of response. It's part of our worship. And if you're struggling with salvation, you've made a public decision at some point in your past, but you're still struggling with it. I want to encourage you this morning to take God's Word. Take what we've studied this morning. Take what we have read. Take it home. Pray over it. Study it. Read it until you come to a place where in your heart you've let go of every effort to save yourself and you're simply trusting Him. If it'll help you this morning, we have pastors standing at the end of each aisle. And if you don't know if that you're saved and you want someone to counsel with you and talk with you and pray with you, come see these men. I'll be standing here as well. They'll share scriptures with you. They'll help you understand how a person comes to know Christ but they can also help you understand and sort out what's happening. There is the possibility that a person's not saved and they're struggling with doubts because they have never fully trusted Jesus Christ. They never, never have truly done it. And the reason they doubt is not just because they can't remember when it happened, because that right now they have not been living a life where they're resting in Christ with all their hope for salvation. And if you're that person and you need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come. I'm going to pray for you, and I invite you to come. So whether you need to be saved or whether you're struggling with assurance, would you come? Let us encourage you. Let us support you. The altar's open. Maybe you have a burden in your life, and you need to intercede. You need to pray for yourself or someone who's dear to you, and God has brought them to mind. We're here to pray with you, or you can just come kneel quietly by yourself at the altar. But as God has spoken to you, will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? Father, thank you, Lord, for the simple gospel that is the power of God. And Lord, there's so many other things we could talk about it. People have written theological books that fill libraries describing it. But we know it's so simple, a child can understand it. And God, I pray for that person who is struggling. Set them free. Set them free. Give them peace in the truth of your gospel. Father, as we respond to you now, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Guide us as we worship him. In Jesus' name I pray.